This is Sid Roth saying, I have a vision. Now is the set time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Shalom, Mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. That's what it means, family. We're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people that are brand new creations in the Messiah. Getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar, oh, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone, everywhere to hear the good news. Now, I'm speaking to an inmate in the Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. This is a maximum security prison. I'm speaking to prisoner 78A1976. He has a sentence of 350 years without any chance of parole. He committed six murders, or I should say charged with six murders, charged with over 2,000 arsons. He literally had, well, let me tell you what uh, Time magazine said about him. Quote, few killers have seemed as psychotic as David Berkowitz. I'm speaking to David Berkowitz. You may have heard the name Son of Sam. I'm speaking to him in the prison yard at a payphone. So if you hear any strange noises, etc., or someone gets on the phone next to him, just kind of tune it out. This is so, so important. David, you have uh, nice Jewish parents, as the rabbis always ask me. Were both your parents Jewish? Uh, yes, they were. Uh, I was adopted, and uh, my adopted parents were Jewish, and also my natural parents were Jewish, too. Uh, tell me what you remember about your Jewish background. Were you bar mitzvah? Oh, yeah. I was bar mitzvah in uh, 1967 at the uh, age did, of 13. Did, did you get, get a fountain pen? I mean, that's a big joke. You get a fountain pen. <laughs> no, I think they gave me a $25 savings bond. <laughs> I see. But, you know, at a very young age, uh, you you actually uh, were a tormented uh, youngster. Uh, what was your earliest recollection of wanting to be in the dark and the uh, violent uh, 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 shaking that would go on in the seizures? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what was your earliest recollection of that? Well, uh, I grew up in the Bronx in a, a small apartment on the sixth floor of a, of a tenement building, and my parents were, were middle-class people, a little on the poor side. And, yeah, and you know, David, I can picture that. The reason is mm -hmm. that my grandparents lived mm -hmm. in the Bronx in a tenement, and mm -hmm. I used to go there every... Pa I used to drive there every Passover. Mm -hmm. I would go visit them. You walk up the, the dark stairs in the tenement. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, did you have the seltzer water there in the big bottles? Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, my grand, my grandparents, they also lived in the building on different floors. Uh -huh. And you know, it was like a close-knit family, and they always had the seltzer bottles out. That was the number one drink of choice <laughs> back then. Uh, anyway, t uh, so tell me more about your earliest recollections. Well, uh, as I said, I grew up in the Bronx, and uh, my parents gave me a lot of love and care. Typical Jewish parents. Mom was always at home, and my dad was hardworking six days a week in a little mom-and-pop hardware store also in the Bronx. Uh, but as, the, as I began to grow up, I began to experience this. But when I was about five or six years old, uh, some changes began to happen in my life. So this is my earliest recollection, and uh, it was a very dark time. Uh, I began to get these terrible seizures, which I would fall to the floor and, and begin shaking. And, and uh, 
almost like a fish flopping out of water. Uh, my parents didn't know what was going on. I would scream hysterically and kick and start crying and um, uh, knock over furniture. I just became very uh, destructive here. I was hearing voices. And, uh, you know, later on when I, of course, became a believer in Yeshua, I, the Lord showed me from Mark chapter 9 that this was all demonic. Uh, I don't know why this happened to me, but there's this, this force just came upon me and uh, it tormented my parents. It, it broke them down in tears so many times over the years growing up, and I was totally out of control uh, behavior-wise. Uh, just out of curiosity, why were you adopted? Uh, well, um, I was born out of uh, wedlock. Um, my, my Jewish parents, my natural parents, uh, they had an affair, and... Um, I never met my uh, natural father, but I did meet my natural mother about 20 years later. But, but out of curiosity, now both your natural mother and your natural father were physical Jews? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, tell me uh, the, the meeting with your mother. Was that before the son of Sam or after? Uh, that was a little before. And what was that like when you met her? It was pretty good. Uh, she was a, a lovely woman. She's no longer living. She passed on maybe 10 or so years ago. Uh, she was elderly at the time, but uh, she was a very typical Jewish mother, and she reminded me a lot like my adoptive mother. And uh, it was a nice meeting, very cordial. We stayed in touch a little bit here and there. Uh, out of curiosity, uh, when you were uh, participating in this bizarre behavior as mm -hmm. a child, uh, did you hurt anyone in any way? Uh, well, actually, I was a, became like almost a neighborhood bully. Uh, I was so vicious, I would go around for, I don't know, if something came over me, I would swing at people, punch them, uh, destroy a lot of things. It was just a very evil time. Why weren't, were you ever arrested? Well, you know, back then in, in the neighborhood, even though it was kind of a bad neighborhood, it was still very close-knit. And the teachers, the parents, the, the local police officers on the beat, you know, the old, you remember the old cops used to walk up and down the street with the nightsticks and everything? It was a neighborhood where uh, we just kind of avoided the that kind of stuff and, like, took care of it within the family. You know, there were times when the police or when neighbors came and said, look, you got to, Mr. and Mrs. Berkowitz, you've got to control your son. He's out of hand. He's headed towards trouble. And they tried their best. But uh, I was never arrested prior to my coming here in prison. Now, why would you get up after your parents went to sleep and, and, and roam the streets? Why did you do that? Well, again, that was, I, I learned later, uh, the Lord showed me personally uh, that this was, uh, that I was demon-possessed. You know, I know a lot of people scoff at that, but I know with an absolute certainty that at the time I was demonically controlled. Uh, I don't know all the reasons, but it, it just happened. And anyway, um, there was just this urge, this force in me that would just want me to go out into the darkness, and I would wander the streets uh so way early in the morning, and my parents wouldn't even know that they were sleeping in another room in our apartment. They didn't even know I was gone. And uh, I went up and down the fire escape almost like a cat. I lived in the darkness. I craved the darkness. Uh, there was just something that would pull me one way or the other, well, drive well, me through the streets. Well, weren't you afraid as a young kid wandering the streets at 2, 3 in the morning in, in the Bronx? Well, uh, again, you know, it was, I was, this time, by this time I was maybe 12, uh, getting close to 13 years old, and I guess, I don't know, I didn't think much about it. Were you afraid of anything back then? Uh, yeah, I was afraid of the dark. I, even though I, I well, well, that doesn't make. Why would you go out of your way to lock yourself in closets and wander in the dark, and you were afraid of it? Uh, Sid, I don't know. There was just something there. There was just something that uh, I knew there was something evil there. 
but it was just a, a craving, you know. Uh, did you date much? Uh, a little bit here and there. Typical, typical Jewish guy, always looking for a girlfriend, you know. <laughs> uh, anything? Uh, did you actually graduate high school? Uh, yes, I did. And you went on to the service. Anything unusual happened in the service? Uh, no, I was. I went overseas to Korea. I was spent, stationed there uh, a little more than a year. I went back to the states. I was stationed in Fort Knox. Uh, I would just kind of hang out there. There wasn't really much happening. But, but wait, uh, as an adult in the service, did you not uh, have the seizures and this bizarre behaviors, or, or did you even then? Uh, at times, I would have very bad bouts of depression. That was one thing I suffered from, even from childhood. It was very bad and almost uh, incapacitating bouts of depression. It was like a dark cloud would come over me, and I, all my life I battled uh, thoughts of suicide. And that brought, when my parents were alive, my adoptive parents, that brought them, you know, tremendous uh, fear and grief because they would see me, uh, you know, being so suicidal. And that continued uh, through the years. Did they ever take you as a young child to a psychiatrist? Uh, yes, they did. Uh, what had happened was in school I was behaving so badly, you know, and the teachers were at wit's end. They couldn't control me. And uh, of course not because there was a demon in me. And uh, I was a very, like, evil little child. And they said, they called my parents in and said, listen, Mr. and Mrs. Berkowitz, we cannot keep your son in this school anymore. It's a public school in the Bronx, public school 77. Uh, and um, then they said, look, here's what we're going to do. We would recommend that he go to a child psychologist. We'll try to hook something up with whatever organization was was handling this stuff. And, you know, you take him to see the child psychologist. So this is what had happened they took me to Manhattan. There was an elderly woman who was also Jewish, by the way, and she was a child psychologist. And once a week, my mom would take me in the train down to Manhattan, and I'd sit there for an hour, an hour and a half, uh, with this woman going through all these sessions. This lasted about two years, and nothing changed. What about, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what about God? You were bar mitzvah. What about God? Did you believe there was a God? You, you know, Sid, this is, this is an interesting point. I always believed that there was a God somewhere, but I never knew, I never knew till now that someone, either Jew or Gentile, could have a personal relationship with God. I mean, I, I believed God was, existed, that he was up there in the sky somewhere, but I never, ever thought he had any interest in me. I thought he was just a being who just kind of sat there passively and watched everything and kept a record of all your wrongdoings and this and that. And maybe God would punish you once in a while. I believe that God would punish you if you misbehaved. A lot of times I felt like God was punishing me, even as a child, but I didn't know him. Even going to the, the Hebrew school, I had to go to Hebrew school once a week to prepare for bar mitzvah. I never was, as far as I could recall, most of the time I was true in any way, but as far as I could recall, I never t heard anyone tell me that there's a God you could talk to, that uh, he cares, that he's a God of love and compassion and tenderheartedness. That, that wants to help you and heal you. And uh, David, what about the Bible stories like Moses and walking through the Red Sea as it was dry land? Did you think they were fairy tales or God communicated to our people according to the Torah? Mm -hmm. You know, I'll tell you, really, I never gave it much thought. I mean, I just wasn't interested. I would, I would probably, I recall, I guess, listening to some of the stories, and we had our little workbooks when I was going to the Hebrew school and this and that, and my, my, my grandparents on both sides of the family were very religious, but we never, of course, read from the Bible. But anyway, I never gave much thought to those stories. I thought maybe they were fairy tales. I didn't see how that would apply to my life or to the Jewish people. I thought it was something in history thousands of years ago, but that was that. 
Now, this is Sid Roth, and I'm speaking to uh, David Berkowitz, uh, who you perhaps know by the name Son of Sam. However, he's got a new name. His new name is Son of Hope. And they have just produced, some friends of mine, Dr. Michael Brown and others, have produced the, the most stirring, powerful testimony video of Son of Hope, David Berkowitz. Young people, it is urgent that they see this. My guest, by way of telephone, is David Berkowitz. You probably know him by the name Son of Sam. I'm speaking to him at the Sullivan Correctional Facility, right in the yard, at a payphone. So if you hear some strange sounds, it may so a prisoner uh, perhaps would be on a telephone, or you might hear uh, some music or conversation. You'll understand he's uh, uh, the Sullivan Correctional Facility is in Fallsburg, New York, uh, and it's a maximum security uh, prison. Uh, David, uh, as you are probably aware of, uh, was responsible for New York's worst reign of terror, the largest manhunt in history, charged with um, six murders, 2,000-plus arson fires. Uh, David, on yesterday's broadcast, we found out you were adopted. Your biological parents were Jewish, and your adopted parents were Jewish. They did. They were loving parents. Uh, you were born out of wedlock. That's why you were adopted. They were loving parents, but they didn't know what to do about your bizarre behavior, the seizures, the, the fact that you loved darkness. You'd put, hide yourself in a closet. You'd go roaming the streets till 2, 3 in the morning as, as, as a young child. You'd, uh, you'd actually lock yourself in a closet and... Um, You'd have suicidal thoughts. You didn't know where they came from. Uh, you had a good Jewish education. You were bar mitzvah. Uh, you uh, dated. Uh, you know. Uh, you tried to be as normal as you could. You went to a psychiatrist. Did he do you any good at all? Uh, Sid, no. I, I was in total darkness. I had. I didn't know the Lord. I, nobody knew what to do. It was just you know a worldly way of handling the various mental and emotional problems, the depressions, and the. This and that. So, and so you, you, you graduated high school. Yeah. You, you went into the service. You, 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 you managed to get out of the service. Did you have a, an honorable discharge? Yes, I did. Okay. So you come home. What happened next? Well, uh, I tried to get my life back together. And just, just coping from day to day had always been a struggle for me. And I just wanted to... I, Got out of the service. I wanted to start a life, maybe find a nice girlfriend, get an apartment. At this time, my dad, who uh, just was getting ready to sell his small hardware store and retire and go down south. So I was pretty much alone. I really didn't have any family that I was close to. Uh, aunts, uncles, cousins all lived far away, and I was never really close to them. Um, I always felt like a stranger in the family. And so I just was... Uh, got my own little apartment, a little studio apartment in the Bronx, and uh, it was this time I began to just try to socialize as best as I could, whether there'd be a party going on or some people hanging out on the street corner, trying to hang out. I've been out of the city for three years, uh, and so now I'm just trying to get back into life again. Now, uh, tell me your first recollection as to how you got into uh, New Age, occult, uh, Satanism. Well, uh, there was in my neighborhood, there was a party uh, going on, uh, a lot of young adults, and at this time I was about 21, 22 years old. I didn't have any bites. So I was invited to this party from some, by some local guys, and I went over there, and I found out, you know, to make a long story short, I found out that these people were into Satanism, and some were very deeply involved, and uh, I went out to a park with them. Wait, wait a second. Why did you even do that? Well, what was you, uh, were you intrigued? 
Uh, no, actually, I didn't find out till later what a lot of these uh, people were into. Uh, do, do, they, do you think they, they do that intentionally, kind of get you involved socially before they even tell you what they're into? Yeah, yeah. I, I was lonely. I didn't have anybody. I was just looking for some friendship, for some companionship. And I had my own, you know, day-to-day uh, -day struggles. Uh, it started out very innocently. Uh, we were just getting in, just getting involved. And, um, you know, I guess that I personally, you know, looking back in recollection, realized that this was a, a plan Satan had from the beginning when he began to control me in my youth uh, to guide me along this path. So, so you went to this uh, party, then they invited you, uh, what, to another place in the woods? Oh, uh, right. Later on, there was this park out there. Um, it was not that far away, and very swampy, way out in the weeds. And there was a lot of uh, young people there hanging out, uh, drinking some wine, you know, smoking a little reefer. And uh, it didn't seem anything like out of the ordinary, you know. Uh, there were they were some weird uh, people there. But <laughs> if you're from New York City, there's a lot of weird people, so there's nothing to. <laughs> Well, what was the first thing you can remember of uh, of witchcraft that occurred? Uh, basically, that they were they were saying different chants, uh, different incantations. I said, you know, what's some of this stuff about? They said, well, you know, we just uh, try this little witchcraft stuff, you know, and we want to just be happy and party and, and, and just feel good, and so we do this or that. And I found out that these people mostly, except for the couple of guys that I got close to, these other people were just kind of on the fringe. They would drift in and drift out, mainly, mainly neighborhood um, teenagers and young adults. But there were some others that were uh, very powerful, uh, high-ranking members of a satanic organization whom I got to know, and uh, they began to bring me in deeper and deeper as I got to know them. I didn't see any danger. I didn't. See, I thought it was kind of spooky, exciting. I always liked hanging out in the darkness anyway, even though I was one sense afraid of the darkness. There was that. There was that demon again driving me out in there. So I kind of felt right at home in that in that place in that lonely wooded area. Uh, what was, from what you're telling me, they they brought you along slowly. Uh, mm -hmm. Did they did they go in for things like animal sacrifices? Oh, this came much later. This came much later. It was just mainly uh, hanging out uh, after I began to attend some of the rituals, which has since moved to another park, by the way. We no longer met. There was just a brief period that we met in this one area, and then we moved into a, a more remote and uh, park that actually belonged to a, a former... It's such a long story. It belonged to a former Satanist in the early 1900s. He was a powerful... Uh, uh, occultist and devil worshiper. He owned the park as well as a lot. One more minute for your call. Go ahead. Let's take that extra minute, and then then you'll call us back, David. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, and uh, so that's the park we eventually met in. It had a lot of tunnels and dark passages, and I mean a really spooky place. Your typical something like from a Hollywood movie type thing in the dark, and that's where the action really began. Right. That's when I got in too far over my head, and I deeply regret that. So uh, uh, the thing that's in interesting to me is they start just a little bit you don't even know what they're up to it's just loneliness and a, and friendship and little by little mm -hmm. you get in to the point where you can't get out we have only 15 seconds left okay david call, call, back. call me right back so david what happened next at this park uh well i began to get involved in a lot of the rituals and incantations uh, there were at this time, as we met in the other park, uh, a more advanced group, uh, 
And uh, I did get a hold of a copy of the Satanic Bible, which I recommend that nobody get a hold of. Uh, I remember I was told to purchase a copy, and I said, hey, I didn't even know. I was so naive. It gets, in some ways, so deliberately, deliberately wanting to do bad. You know, my heart was so dark at the time, so evil. And I just went along with everything. I said, okay, I'm going to get me a Satanic Bible. I said, wow, I didn't even know there was one. I went to a store uh, to pick one up. And I remember the moment I touched it, I felt something. Uh, I felt this power that was coming through it. And I said, you know, it's like almost like you touch a small generator mm-hmm. or something. And I said, wow. But this time I was really getting involved in it. And uh, I was turning a blind eye to a lot of things. And uh, even even there were other changes around me that were happening uh, internally and externally. Uh, you want to hear it? Yes, I do. I think you find it very interesting, and this is some of the dangers of the occult, because, you see, it's not just a question of, of making a decision to do something or this or that. There are powers operating behind the scene that make everything seem like this is really cool. This is really it's spooky, but it's cool. You, you get a kick out of it. I was beginning to develop psychic powers. I was able to... Like if I see somebody coming when I was at work or whatever, and I knew ahead of time what questions they were going to ask me. Mm-hmm. And I almost had this uh, mental telepathy that began to develop. In my, in my mind, I would see something happening, and then it would happen. Like there would be an auto accident on the corner. I'd be standing on the corner just waiting to cross the street. And I, and I stopped there because I knew there was going to be an accident, and sure enough, there would be an accident. And it sounds freaky, but this stuff was really, really happening. In, in, in a small but noticeable scale, I felt these surges of power come upon me. When I was doing these uh, incantations, I began to do them even when I was alone. I got so caught up in this thing, I began to do them when I was alone at work. I was at the time a security guard, a minimum wage security guard, and I was working in Manhattan on these truck yards. And it was so desolated at, at night, I, be, I got so involved with my satanic Bible, I began to yell out these these uh, incantations and these prayers to the demonic powers and everything and thinking well this is you know i don't know it's like there was like a blind side to me i i'm so i'm so angry with myself that i that i went this way i don't even under looking back i don't even understand why you know i I shouldn't be doing these things but at the time there was a power there behind the scenes making everything seem like this is really good spooky that nothing bad is going to happen. I mean, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know where Jesus says in John 10.10 that, you know, Satan is a thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. Who, who knew those things? I didn't really see... I knew uh, David, yeah. uh, let's go just a little bit. Uh, sure. when, uh, when they uh, sacrificed animals, didn't this bother you? Uh, at the time, a little, a little bit, because I always loved animals, but it just didn't seem to be that evil. It was like something I said, I, you kind of... See, it's a strange process that you go through. It's, it's so difficult to just say in a couple of minutes all the changes, but there's a rationalization process that I went through. And maybe it was even some brainwashing, too. I'm, I'm you know, behind the scenes as well as my deliberate will to do bad. Now, did, did they go in for human sacrifice? Oh, uh, that came later, yeah. And did, it, did that bother you? Uh, yeah, it did. But uh, at the time, there was just no getting out of it. By that time, I was totally sold out as a soldier to Satan. You know, I'm ashamed to admit it. That was the most foolish and stupid thing I ever did. Uh, uh, just for those that are listening, that are ex- heard some of the uh, exciting things that David said within Satanism, look where it ended. Mm-hmm. It ended with 
350 years in prison. It could have ended even worse. It could have ended him being dead. Easy. Right. Our time is up, David. I want you back tomorrow. Mishpo, I guess, by way of telephone, I'm speaking to uh, New York State prisoner 78A1976 at the Fallsburg, New York Maximum Security Prison, Sullivan Correctional Facility, August 10th, 1977. He was captured. He was charged with committing six murders, over 2,000 fires. He literally brought New York City to its knees. It was one of the worst reigns of terror in, in the history of New York City. People that were friends of mine that uh, uh, were, were living in New York at the time of this, this reign of terror, they were afraid to, they tell me they were afraid to go out at night. Uh, David Berkowitz is on the telephone, known as Son of Sam, uh, in, the, in the media. Uh, David. What, uh, how did they get the name Son of Sam? Why did you even sign? Uh, did you sign something, Son of Sam? Was that it? Uh, well, no, that was a long. Um, again, that was uh, dubbed by the media, but there was a reason for that. Uh, the one of the chief uh, satanic deities, the occultic deities, uh, you know, uh, was uh, a demon named Sam, Samhain. S A M H A I N. That was the uh, head. Uh, Druidic deity that demanded human sacrifices, and at this time I had, as I said, gotten so involved, so over my head in things. Uh, but that was where that came from. It was all demonic. The whole thing was even the uh, letters that the you know police had and all this stuff was all uh, satanically um, uh, coded and so forth. Uh, David, how widespread is this? Uh, and you may you've you've been uh, you know in prison now for over twenty years, but. Uh, do you have any knowledge? Is is this still going on as big as it was when you were involved in it? Uh, well, actually, yes, it is. But they've gone into other things, and I know this for a fact. Uh, a lot of investigations are still continuing. In fact, just recently, in the other month, uh, various police agencies had uh, gone into a certain into that park to uh, examine things and, and and hunt down for some things. A number of people, you know, this is. In a sense, very confidential, and I can't give the details, but a number of people have since come forward and uh, uh, corroborated a lot of things. Uh, one man is presently in Alabama under the Federal Witness Protection Program. He's an inmate uh, charged with other crimes, and he was uh, heavily involved. He was involved in, I think, around 1982 in two homicides, and he has uh, been uh, very you know, instrumental in things. And so this is really beneath the surface. Uh, something that's very involved. The group is presently uh, involved in a lot of stuff um, and in, up in other states right now. Uh, okay, David, when did the reign of terror officially start? And, and tell me that first time that you uh, either set a fire or murdered someone. Well, that began around 1975 was the first, uh, the fact uh, the the fire sacrifices, which really were the, fi the fires, were the fire sacrifices. What, what does that mean? Who are you sacrificing? Uh, various occultic deities that like like uh, fires, and even in the Old Testament, you know, ironically, you can find all this stuff in the Bible in the Old Testament. This, the, the fire sacrifices, making your sons and daughters pass through the fire, and demons love fire. And, and as bizarre as it sounds, uh, they crave the darkness. They're the ones that crave the darkness. Not me. When when Christ delivered me, you know, I no longer crave the darkness. I was completely set free. And, and uh, well, but you see, the the, the this is the, the all the arsons, the animal sacrifices, and even a lot of vandalism and so forth. And cemeteries uh, all began in '75 and escalated into the 
or homicides and believe in 76. So, so you're saying some of the things you were involved in, the Bible actually describes and calls abominations. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Absolute abominations, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, where did they get the, 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 the humans to sacrifice? Well, again, it's, uh, it, it dealt with the various uh, holidays and uh, so forth. No, no. Where did they get the humans to sacrifice? Well, that was uh, the, the, the people that lost their lives. The innocent victims that lost their lives were, uh, you know. But where did they come from? How did they, did they kidnap them? Where, where did they no, come from? it was just a, a random thing. Um, it's a random thing, but during, uh, coinciding as close as possible with various holidays and so forth, where the demonic powers had uh, demanded sacrifice from people. And uh, uh, this stuff happens all over the world. Um, I have uh, friends that uh, are investigators into the occult, and some are in, in, uh, even in law enforcement that I'm in contact with all the time. And this stuff is worldwide. Uh, we think of it ha happening in third world countries in, in, uh, where people are, are hundreds of years behind the times, but that's not only true. That happens here in America. Uh, Okay, David, tell me the beginning of the reign of terror. Well, it, uh, you know, I feel very uncomfortable talking about the, the but it happened in, in the 76, uh, 76. Yeah. I, I, I understand. Well, well, let me ask you another question. You were charged with six murders, 2,000-plus yeah. arsons. Uh, every prisoner says they're innocent. What do you say? Uh, I say I was guilty. I was completely guilty. Uh, I participated in all of that. I didn't do each and every uh, shooting, but I was there. I, I helped. I uh, did all this, uh, everything that, you know, you could just put the blame on me, and uh, I'm guilty. David, while this whole bizarre thing about a year it was going on, mm -hmm. um, was there any remorse? Was there any, during that time, was there any feeling of, I, I'm doing something horrible to someone. I want to stop. Stop uh, me. Yeah. Uh, Sid, a part of me cried out to, to get out of this thing but you see it, it was uh, once you, you get into this you see their, their powers aren't operating behind the scenes and as i said it's my fault i claim full responsibility got involved in this you know i took one step at a time nevertheless even if it began in, innocently you know it quickly escalated where i chose to do evil i had sold myself out i made the worst mistake that a person could ever make i i had asked i mean this this is a horrible thing i mean i don't want anyone to have to do this but that we know as, as believers in, in Yeshua that there are demonic powers. Jesus wrestled against them. We wrestled against them. I had asked these powers. I had asked Satan to come into me during a, a, a ritual. And uh, I, I had sold myself out as a soldier for Satan. By this time, I was so involved. I was in many ways even just just uh, an emotional zombie. I mean, I was... what, what would happen when you would read these reports in the newspaper or, or see your, see the, the reports on television? What, would, what was going on inside of you? Uh, I, I don't know. I just I don't really re recall. It was just a, a real battle, a real battle. I, I uh, David, uh, it, it's very obvious to me yeah. that you don't like to talk about B.C. No, no, because I know you God don't. has made all things new in my life. You know, it's so painful, and my, my heart goes out to all the... The families of the of those that died and lost their lives so tragically is such a waste. I'd do anything if I could go back in time and and change all this. And but you know the reality is what happened happened, and and uh, I pray for them all the time. There's a lot of nightmares still, and God is still healing me from the past. It's it's a process. He's 
Um, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ has brought so much deliverance and hope and healing into my life right now, but there's there's still a way to go, you know, and, and Satan always comes in to try to... Uh, David, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. tell me about the... Uh, how were you captured? Uh, well, it's, uh, I think there was uh, some parking ticket issues or something, and, uh, and uh, the police were following various leads, uh... One of the people, well, it's one of the guys that were involved. His sister also helped, you know, tip off the police. It was part of a, a setup. I mean, maybe even to get me killed. Now that I see it, to get me uh, killed, they were hoping I'd probably be shot dead by the police. Uh, this is what I, I came to learn later on. But it's just really uh, when the police surrounded me in 1977, they were hoping that perhaps I would be just gunned down, and then the, then the group could cover their tracks and just kind of start again somewhere else, move their operation on, which, of course, they eventually they did, although after I was arrested, a number of people had uh, died. Uh, well, was, was there any relief on the inside that you were arrested, or were, or were you still with no emotion? Uh, I, part of me had no emotion, but there was a lot of relief, because I was in such bondage. I mean, I was just crying out, in my, I guess, in my heart, without now looking back, without even... At the time, probably not even conscious of it, but I was just hoping to get get out of this and even to die, and, and just to to have this over with already because it was such a nightmare. Uh, I, in the video, um, I saw a horrible scar from from a knife slashing mm -hmm. on your throat. Um, a prison must be a pretty rough place. Yeah, prison is a is a is a very evil place. Yes, I, I was in 1979, another inmate whom I didn't know. Uh, slashed my the whole side of my throat with a razor blade, and at the time I didn't know the Lord. And uh, I'll tell you just an interesting thing about this. You see how God's hand was in my life. Now at this time I was still, I mean, I was a rebellious inmate. I was uh, only in prison for maybe just less than two years or two and a half years, and uh, I didn't. I said I didn't know the Lord. This guy cut me and opened up the whole side of my neck with a, a razor, a razor blade. Right when I got right. to the infirmary, the doctor there. He was joking around. He says, "I know. I can't believe that you're still alive because this guy just missed, you know, your 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 main artery there. He just missed your jugular vein." And the, the doctor was cracking jokes, and uh, you know. But now that I look at it, Sid, I literally, I actually came within a sliver, a fraction of an inch of going into hell, of going into of dying. Yeah, and uh, and I'm alive. I praise God. I thank God. I'm alive. I, I survived that. And I didn't, as I said, I, would, I didn't know the Lord at the time. I would have gone right to hell. I would have been there right now in torment. And, and the Lord showed me that even then, he knew what was going to happen. He knew there would be a day I would come to him. He knew there would be a day I'd repent of my sins. And here I was. I, got, I, I survived that by a tiny fraction of an inch. And da I David, David, I assume that a lot of Christians... Uh, maybe wrote to you. Uh, in, in fact, I read about one. A Reverend Don Dickerman in 1978 wrote you a letter about belief in Jesus. And what was your response back then? Uh, 
I, well, I don't even, you know, Don had shared this with me, and we now Don and I are the best of friends. He's a beautiful Christian brother. Um, after he wrote me, at the time I was in such darkness, I wrote him back a hateful letter. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but he still jokes about it till this day. At that time, I was not uh, a believer in Yeshua. I was living with just a lot of anger and bitterness, and so when this Christian man wrote to me in love, I just responded back in hate. Well, I, 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 I can tell you. I can tell you what you said. You said that you can't wait to kill him. Hmm. And anyway, our time is up today. We want everyone, everywhere, to know God. I have a man on the telephone. He's, you've probably heard of him. Back in 1976, the headlines were flooded with someone by the name of Son of Sam. His name is David Berkowitz. He was charged with uh, six murders, 2,000-plus arsons. It was probably New York's, no, it was New York's worst reign of terror, the largest manhunt in New York's history. It literally brought New York City to its knees. People were afraid to go out. David was uh, captured August 10th, 1977. I'm speaking to him right now. He's in the, uh, the, the yard of the Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. He's speaking to me from a payphone. Uh, he has been in prison now over... 20 years. David, tell me about the man that first started telling you about Jesus in prison. Oh, okay, Sid. Uh, and uh, this was back in um, 10 years ago, in 1987. Uh, I was walking the prison yard one cold winter's night, and I was totally, at this time, I didn't believe in anything. I was life was so hopeless. I was living in such a dark time. The depression that I was going through, you know, being in prison at that time already ten years, was uh, weighing very heavily on me. And out of nowhere, this guy came up, a young man with a big smile on his face, and he said to me, "You're David Berkowitz, you know." And I said, "Yeah. What, what about it?" And he says, "Listen, you know, my name is Ricky, and I'd like to just tell you something, if you don't mind." I said, "Well, what's that?" He says, "That Jesus Christ loves you very much." And he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And he sent me here to tell you that. Uh, stop for a second. You, you know, and I'm going to talk to the Mishpacha, to the family right now. Uh, what that man said to David, you would say, oh, how trite. No way does, is that going to have any impact. Uh, and you know what? You're in situations where you can say a word just like that. Now, let's go back. He said that to you, mm -hmm. and, uh, and of course, he probably w wished he hadn't. What did you say back to him? <laughs> <laughs> well, I looked at him. You know, I saw the guy was sincere. So I said, listen, I mean, I had nothing against him. I saw he was trying to reach out to me with his religious talk. <laughs> and I said, so listen, I know you mean well, but there's no hope for me. I've done too much evil. There's no way God can possibly forgive me. And his first answer was, oh, no, you don't understand. Jesus Christ really loves you, and, and I'd like to be, he tells me, he tells me, I'd like to be your friend, I'd like to get to know you, and if you don't mind, maybe we could walk together, and we started to be, became friends, I, I didn't really have anybody that I was close to, uh, prison's a very lonely place, sometimes the loneliness is so heavy it just crushes you, and here was just a friendly guy, so we became friends, we worked out together a little bit, walked the yard, you know, the places, full of, like, a lot of depression and violence and this and that. And we became friends. He began to share his testimony with me, uh, what Jesus Christ had done for him. But, but didn't it bother you, uh, the mention of Jesus being a Jew? Uh, no, I didn't have any feelings for Jesus one way or the other. Okay. It, the name was just a, a blank. 
you know, and uh -huh. I had so much darkness, maybe I welcomed the companionship, you know. He could have talked about anything. He could have talked about Bozo. It was a friend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I thank God for that. <laughs> um, a prison must be a pretty rough place. Yeah, prison is a, is a, is a very evil place. Yes, I, I was in 1979, another inmate whom I didn't know, uh, slashed my, the whole side of my throat with a razor blade. And at the time, I didn't know the Lord. And uh, I'll tell you just an interesting thing about this. You see how God's hand was in my life. Now, at this time, I was still, I mean, I was a rebellious inmate. I was uh, only in prison for maybe just less than two years or two and a half years. And uh, I, didn't, I said, I didn't know the Lord. This guy cut me and opened up the whole side of my neck with a, a, razor, a razor blade, right? When I got right. to the infirmary, the doctor there, he was joking around. He says, I, know, I can't believe that you're still alive because this guy just missed, you know, your, 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 your main artery there. He just missed your jugular vein. And the, the doctor was cracking jokes. And, you know, but now that I look at it, Sid, I literally, I actually came within a sliver, a fraction of an inch of going into hell, of going into, of dying. So <laughs> what happened next? Uh, well, we became friends, and he began to, as, to share with me a little from the Bible each and every day. He says, hey, Dave, let me read you this. Like he reads Psalm 40, he'd read from Psalm 34. He says, what do you think about that? I says, wow, that's beautiful. And then one day... He gave me a small Gideon's Bible, the little pocket Bibles that have the New Testament with the Psalms and Proverbs in the back. Sure. And he says, listen, why don't you, you know, you're a Jew. Why don't you read this? Why don't you read the Psalms? Uh, they're so beautiful. I think you'd like them. Uh, and I think God is going to speak to you through the Psalms. Well, I always like to read. And so I took the little Bible. You know, I was very polite. I took the little Bible. And then from time to time at night in my cell, I began to pick it up and read it. And I read the Psalms. And, I, and let me tell you, Sid, I came across. I began to discover the most beautiful words that I've ever read. I was thinking, I would, sometimes I would read the, the Psalms and I would start to cry, alone in myself. Uh, did, would, did you cry much before that? No, my heart was like stone, cold. Well, didn't it kind of surprise you that, uh, that as you were reading these words, it would cause that type of tenderness to come out of you? Yeah, yeah. Well, this was the Holy Spirit working on my life. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know what was happening. But I just felt this peace reading these things. I was reading about King David, and I, and I always thought a king's life was supposed to be exciting and prosperous and happy, you know. And I read, when I was reading about King David now in the Psalms, I saw him, his life was going through a lot of struggles. He was being persecuted by enemies. He was struggling with sins and temptations and, and all these things. And I saw a, a, a human being, a uh, I can't explain it. I, and I says, wow, I always thought, you know, a king was supposed to be happy, and here I see him crying out to God. And I began to do that. I began to cry out. I says, Lord, if you're out there, if you're around, you know, touch my life. And I remember reading Psalm 34 one day where it says this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And I was reading that. Now, I had been reading the New Testament for about uh, several weeks to a month at night, and when I read that, I just burst into tears. And somehow, you know, God was touching me. I didn't understand what was happening, but I just shut my light off, and I felt this urge to get down on my knees in the darkness of the cell, and I began to pour my heart out to God. Sid, I, I, just, I just cried and cried like a baby. I told God how sorry I was for the life I was living. Part of me didn't want to live anymore, and that uh, I was sorry for all the hurt I caused people. And God, if you're out there, if you care about me, please forgive me. 
I mean, I always had growing up as a child this idea that God was very stern and just sat up there very uh, passively. But now here I was talking to him for the first time in my life. And when I got up off my knees, it was like a tremendous load had lifted, off, lift, lifted from my shoulders. I mean, I, I saw God's touch in my life so clearly, and I just slept like a baby that night. And it was just when I saw my friend the next day, my friend Ricky, because he lived in a different cell block, and we would just meet in the yard, I told him what I did. I says, Ricky, you know what I did last night? And he said, well, what'd you do? Uh, remember what you've been telling me to do to talk to Jesus? And, and, and he, I, he said, yeah. I said, well, that's what I did. He said, you what? He was so excited. He was like a big kid, you know? Here we are in this prison yard with all these tough guys and the bikers and the gangs. And, he, and he's going, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know? And I said, yeah, shh, shh, don't, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet. You know, but he was so excited. I didn't know. And he says, really, how to handle this. And he says, man, that's great, Dave. Dave, that means you've been born again. You've been saved. Jesus is in your heart now. And I, I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And we have one more minute for your call. And we have one more minute. Right, David, ten, that was ten years ago. Mm -hmm. If you did not know Jesus today, what would what would your prognosis for your life be? Uh, I think I would have been dead by now. I really? honestly think that if I didn't have God's protective hand, somebody would have maybe done me in. But most of all, I would have killed myself because I was really battling with suicide. I'm doing life without parole. I had no reason to even live or get up in the morning. But then Jesus came in. Well, and what if an Orthodox rabbi walked up to you and said, don't you know he's a false messiah? What would you say? You have only 15 seconds left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, can I call you back? Yeah, I, I'm on pins and needles. Call me back right now. <laughs> I know it's just out of time. I can't. Okay. All righty. I have David on the telephone again because he's working from a pay phone. He has to stop every once in a while and then call us back. David, I had asked you, what if an Orthodox rabbi went up to you and said, David, you're a Jew. We Jews don't believe in Jesus. Look at all the persecution in his name. He's a false messiah. What would you say? Well, actually, it's interesting the question you asked, Sid, because I've had my uh, opportunity to uh, share my faith with uh, several Jewish uh, Orthodox rabbis and so forth over the years. And I tell them, listen, I know what Yeshua HaMashiach has done for me. I know what Yeshua has done for me. I once was blind, but now I see, you know. Um... I share with them Isaiah 53 and some other passages of scriptures, and I said, how could you say that Jesus is not the Messiah of the Jews when everything in the Old Testament points to him? I mean, Isaiah 53, and, and then in Micah, and all the passages of Isaiah, and on and on, and Jeremiah, and in, even in Genesis. It's so clear. It's so clear. You know, Jesus says, search the scriptures, and, and, and then you'll find eternal life, and that eternal life is me. Uh, David, I have to ask you a personal question. Uh, I have a video here. I think it's the most sensational evangelistic tool that we have. It is um, uh, it is so powerful for young people, uh, for people involved in the new age, for older people, because it, it's such an amazing transformation. But candidly, uh, are you going to make a lot of money from this? Oh, no, absolutely not. I don't make a, a single penny, and I never would want to. Uh, all of the well, whatever profits, would you call it, for want of a better word, go right into ministry uh, there, and that's being handled down in Florida. Uh, right. In other words, this this video was uh, put together by Dr. Michael Brown, who's mm -hmm. the uh, school, uh, who is the head of the Bible school at uh, Brownsville uh, Assembly of God 
in Pensacola, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Steve Hill, the evangelist there, you know, David Berkowitz, I think he is one of the most powerful evangelists on the face of this earth. He does the most wonderful part in this, actually talking about uh, his life. But one more question that I've got to ask you. There's something called, and people ask you this all the time, jailhouse religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you believe in Jesus because you think you'll get out of prison? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I know what Christ has done for me. And I know that from time to time, uh, people would say, oh, is this real? And they do that with other prisoners, too. But, but Sid, I know what Christ has done in my life. I've been a believer now for close to 11 years. The Lord has allowed me to share my testimony in other countries, in Africa, in Russia, through, through the media, such as programs like yourself, and, and so many ways. I'm with the Lord 100%, and I'm planning on going all the way with the Lord until he comes. I, I'm on fire for the Lord. I love the Lord. He's brought me out of darkness. He's given me a whole new life, and the, the old things have passed away. David, we're out of time. This by way of telephone is David Berkowitz. I'm speaking to him in the prison yard itself, so if you hear some strange sounds, you'll understand. It's a maximum security prison, Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. Uh, he's been given 350 years without even a chance of parole. Uh, you probably remember that uh, back in 1976 through 77, the serial killer, six murders charged with over 2,000 arson fires. It was New York's worst reign of terror, the largest manhunt in New York history. It, it literally brought New York City to its knees. There was such fear people didn't want to go out at night, and we found out that God performed a miracle. He took this lonely, suicidal, demon-possessed Jewish man and revealed Jesus. David, I can't imagine what life would be like in prison with knowing that that's your future, you're going to die there, mm-hmm. um, without knowing Jesus. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was a time of, of tremendous darkness for me before I came to know the Lord. But as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, one of my favorite passages, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And even in here, God has given me a new life, a new beginning, a new hope, and uh, I'm thankful to be alive. I don't deserve to be alive, but praise God, I thank, to be, I thank God I'm alive. You know, on yesterday's broadcast, David, we talked about uh, if an Orthodox rabbi came to you and said, Jesus isn't our Messiah, we Jews don't believe in him. And you said, well, I would show him a few passages like Isaiah 53. Uh, there are some people listening to us right now uh, that do not know that the 53rd chapter of Isaiah was written by the Jewish prophet over 800 years before Jesus came to earth. Uh, why is that an important passage to you, showing Jesus is the Messiah? Uh, because I use it often, and it's, by the way, it's my favorite passage. I always share this uh, when I have an opportunity to witness to a Jewish person, and uh, it speaks so clearly of, 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 of Jesus, of his first coming, of, the, of his uh, dying on the cross, of his dying between two thieves. Uh, it's just awesome. I mean, anyone who could read this, I don't see how they could say that this does not apply, this, that Jesus does not fulfill every sentence, every part of that scripture. I mean, it's so I'm, powerful, it's I, so clear. I, I have it right in front of me, and it's saying, who will possibly believe the report of the Jewish prophets? And, and he, he won't defend himself. He'll be like a, a sheep 
Mm -hmm. uh, who, who is silent, uh, a lamb led to slaughter, and he'll be cut off or killed from the land of the living. And it even says why. For the transgressions of my people, mm -hmm. he was stricken. Mm -hmm. and, and they made his grave with the wicked. He was... Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a thief on either side of him, uh, but with the rich at his death, he was buried in a wealthy man's tomb. He has done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Mm -hmm. He has put him to grief. He shall see the... I'm going to stop right now, but anyone, everyone should read that 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to switch gears for a minute, David, because this is the last day. Uh, I'm going to ask you a point-blank question. You were possessed of a demon. Yes. That's why you, I mean, I'm convinced of that, and I know you're convinced of yes. that. So, so, should, so shouldn't they let you out because a demon possessed you? Uh, and it no. really wasn't you doing it? No, well, no, I, I did do those things. I made a choice to do evil. Yes, I was satanically influenced. The, the Lord showed me that one day when I was reading Mark chapter 9 about a boy that was demon-possessed, and his father went to Jesus crying and begging that the demon or whatever it was will, will be, this boy will be helped. But uh, that was my life. The Lord showed me that. But uh, no, I, I chose to do evil. Yes, Satan was behind the scenes, but we have our free will. We have free choice. And for whatever reasons, I mean, I deeply regret it. It was the most terrible and foolish things I've ever done. But I gave my life to Satan at the time, and I, I went down that course of destruction. I have no one to blame but myself. Uh, what would you tell young people that are listening to this interview right now? Uh, first of all, I tell them that Jesus Christ loves them very much and has a plan and a purpose for their life. And whether they realize it or not, that each child, each teenager, and each every person is at war. That there's a battle uh, being raged right now, a very intense battle between God and Satan, between good and evil. And the battlefield is in the world, and the prize is their soul. The devil has is come whether we want to believe in a devil or not. The Bible says the devil is real. He's come to steal and to kill and destroy. He's come to ruin lives and to take souls. But Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, has come to rescue, rescue each and every person and to give them love and to give them the gift of eternal life. And that they need to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior just like anyone else. God wants to save them the way he wants to save anybody. And, and teenagers, young adults, everyone needs the Lord in their life. They need to accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And what would you say to a young person or even an older person that is dabbling in witchcraft and finds it pretty thrilling? Uh, I would say that they're on a course of destruction. Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are going on it, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. It may feel good. And the devil knows how to manipulate one's flesh and one's senses and, and to toy with one's mind, but it is a road to destruction. Yeah, but if someone says, I, I have control, though, I, I can stop any time I want. I said the same thing, and the devil lied to me. And uh, I realized that I was deceived. I thought that I could walk away from this any time. I thought that I was in control, but I wasn't. And uh, I just wasn't. Uh, but what about just little things like uh, horoscopes and calling the psychic network? There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Uh, Sid, there absolutely is. Because the reason is, it may seem harmless, it may seem innocent, even entertaining, but behind all of that are demonic powers that lie in wait to deceive and, and lead astray. The Bible in the Old Testament and in the New warns about this 
fully and completely. Uh, even if some people, let's say in the psychic hotline, are charlatans who just want to make money and are just in it for themselves, nevertheless, behind that lie demonic powers that seek to lead astray. And uh, I would urge anyone, I would urge with all my heart to, to get rid of, for them to get rid of that stuff and to put their trust in the Lord. To get rid of that. If, if there's anything, a Ouija board or, or any type of horoscope or something, get rid of that stuff, rip it up, throw it out, burn it if you can. It is nothing to play with. Uh, David Berkowitz, uh, I've been talking all this week. I'm so excited about this fantastic, powerful evangelistic tool. I mean, talk about a transformation. I have the cover of, the, of your video, Son of Sam, Son of Hope. So why did you do this video? Uh, Sid, I, I have a burning desire to reach as many souls as I can with, with the message of hope that Jesus Christ can save, heal, and transform any life, that, that, that God can give someone a new beginning. I, I look out at the world and I see all the, uh, how Satan is leading so many astray and destroying so many souls. And I said, I gave this to the Lord. I said, Lord, please use this to reach young people. I can't get out behind prison walls to preach. If I could, I'd go everywhere sharing the news, warning people and encouraging them to come to Christ. But I pray in Jesus' name that this video will have that effect. That but, but you know, David, most people are out there and able to share, and they're not sharing. Well, they'll have to answer to the Lord for that. I'll tell you one thing, because we're living in a day and age... Sid, I believe that the Lord's coming is so close uh, to me personally, and I have my struggles and trials and temptations and days where it seems like, you know, if it's not for the Lord, I wouldn't be able to make it. But let me tell you something, that um, there is a sense of urgency with everything that we have to do. I believe with all my heart that whatever we have to do for God, we must do it now. Now, you told me there was a scripture burning in your heart. Tell me mm -hmm. that. Yeah, uh, this has been, we've been sharing this all week in our, in our fellowship, and by the way, we have a beautiful fellowship, uh, here in the prison. It's Mark chapter 16, verses 14 to 20. I'd just like to read this real quick. Uh, afterward he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And sometimes we too would do evil. Yes, Satan was behind the scenes, but we have our free will. We have free choice. And for whatever reasons, I mean, I deeply regret it. It was the most terrible and foolish things I've ever done. But I gave my life to Satan at the time, and I, I went down that course of destruction. I have no one to blame but myself. Uh, what would you tell young people that are listening to this interview right now? Uh, first of all, I tell them that Jesus Christ loves them very much and has a plan and a purpose for their life. And whether they realize it or not, that each child, each teenager, and each, every person is at war. That there's a battle uh, being raged right now, a very intense battle between God and Satan, between good and evil. And the battlefield is in the world, and the prize is their soul. The devil has is come, whether we want to believe in a devil or not, the Bible says the devil is real. He's come to steal and to kill and destroy. He's come to ruin lives and to take souls. But Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, has come to rescue, rescue each and every person and to give them love and to give them the gift of eternal life. And that they need to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, just like anyone else. God wants to save them the way he wants to save anybody. And, and teenagers, young adults, everyone needs the Lord in their life. They need to accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And what would you say to a young person or even an older person that is dabbling in witchcraft and finds it pretty thrilling? Uh, 
I would say that they're on a course of destruction. Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are going on it, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. It may feel good, and the devil knows how to manipulate one's flesh and one's senses and, and to toy with one's mind, but it is a road to destruction. Yeah, but if someone says, I, I have control, though, I, I can stop anytime I want. I said the same thing, and the devil lied to me. And uh, I realized that I was deceived. I thought that I could walk away from this any time. I thought that I was in control, but I wasn't. And uh, I just wasn't. Uh, but what about just little things like uh, horoscopes and so calling the psychic network? There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Uh, Sid, there absolutely is. Because the reason is, it may seem harmless, it may seem innocent, even entertaining. But behind all of that are demonic powers that lie in wait to deceive and, and lead astray. The Bible in the Old Testament and in the New warns about this fully and completely. Uh, even if some people, let's say in the psychic hotline, are charlatans who just want to make money and are just in it for themselves, nevertheless, behind that lie demonic powers that seek to lead astray. And uh, I would urge anyone, I would urge with all my heart to, to get rid of, for them to get rid of that stuff and to put their trust in the Lord. Get rid of that. If there's anything, a Ouija board or any type of horoscope or something, get rid of that stuff, rip it up, throw it out, burn it if you can. It is nothing to play with. Uh, David Berkowitz, uh, I've been talking all this week. I'm so excited about this fantastic, powerful evangelistic tool. I mean, talk about a transformation. I have the cover of, the, of your video, Son of Sam, Son of Hope. So why did you do this video? Uh, Sid, I, I have a burning desire to reach as many souls as I can with, with the message of hope that Jesus Christ can save, heal, and transform any life, that, that, that God can give someone a new beginning. I, I look out at the world and I see all the, uh, how Satan is leading so many astray and destroying so many souls, and I said, I gave this to the Lord. I said, Lord, please use this to reach young people. I can't get out behind prison walls to preach. If I could, I'd go everywhere sharing the news, warning people and encouraging them to come to Christ. But I pray in Jesus' name that this video will have that effect. That but, but you know, David, most people are out there and able to share, and they're not sharing. Well, they'll have to answer to the Lord for that. I'll tell you one thing, because we're living in a day and age. Sid, I believe that the Lord's coming is so close uh, to me personally, and I have my struggles and trials and temptations and days where it seems like, you know, if it's not for the Lord, I wouldn't be able to make it. But let me tell you something, that um, there is a sense of urgency with everything that we have to do. I believe with all my heart that whatever we have to do for God, we must do it now. Now, you told me there was a scripture burning in your heart. Tell mm -hmm. me that. Yeah, uh, this has been, we've been sharing this all week in our, in our fellowship, and by the way, we have a beautiful fellowship, uh, here in the prison. It's Mark chapter 16, verses 14 to 20. I'd just like to read this real quick. Uh, afterward he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And sometimes we too is clean. I make Yeshua my Lord and ask him to live inside of me. Amen. If you would like to correspond, receive our teaching newsletter, or a cassette catalog, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521. Our telephone number is area code 912-265-2500. 
to receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, cassette catalog, or information about becoming Mishpocha, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521. Or call our order-only line, 1-800-548-1918. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-548-1918. For all other calls, the number is 912-265-2500. That's 912-265-2500. For a cassette tape of this week's broadcast, send $5 to Sid Roth, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521.